0: Welcome to the New Kind of Man podcast. This is episode 66. At A New Kind of Man, we are growing stronger and more capable men. We believe that every man can be a good man, and we're here to help men on their journey to become new men. You are the heroes of A New Kind of Man. You're, you, the listener, are the heroes. You make it all worthwhile, and without you, there would be no show whatsoever. On the New Kind of Man podcast, I've interviewed Navy SEALs, CEOs, coaches, experts in leadership, authors, and regular guys just like you and I. Many of the guests are still connected and listen to the show. They're part of the community now, just like you are. In this episode, I talk to Jason Gardner. He and I talk about how to develop and train high-performing teams. Many of these same principles can be applied to married life, home life, and work life. Stay tuned. We'll get into that conversation in just a moment. If you have not heard about the New Man Report, I want to tell you about the Newman Report. It is a weekly masculine email blast that gets sent out from me. Nothing weird, no sales pitchy garbage, just a little bit of masculine inspiration, maybe something that I've read or a quote or something I've studied, or maybe even you actually could be part of uh, my writing, and now I'm writing a book, so maybe you could kind of work some of these ideas out with me. That will all happen through the New Man Report. You can find the link in the show notes. I've told you in the past about the War Cry Network. If you're interested in the War Cry Network, it's warcrynetwork.com. Also, the Live Free Community app, Live Free Community app can be found at livefree.app, two Ps, or the Live Free Community app, and you can get that through your app store. A lot of great things are happening at Live Free. Community is being formed there, and many, many men, thousands of men, are recovering from porn addiction. Carl and his team are doing phenomenal work. And last but not least, I want to tell you about Men of Iron. They exist to change a culture, one man at a time. It's a great big vision. So because of this vision being so vast, uh, they're in constant pursuit to provide the resources to equip equip men, just like you and I, to grow leaders, uh, to grow us in leaders at home, grow us in leaders in our workplace, and so we can honestly lead ourselves well. Their work is centered on faith, family, friendships, fitness, and finances. So all of that is some great work that I am so grateful to be collaborating with in the future. Stay tuned. You'll hear more. But in this podcast, let me drill down a little bit. So, Jason Gardner is the guest today on episode 66. He's a former U.S. Navy SEAL, combat leader, and now he is a leadership instructor and speaker at Ashalon Front. Jason spent nearly three decades in the SEAL teams, and he did nine deployments across the globe. We talk about the best practices to stay mentally and professionally agile. We talk about how good mentors mark Jason's time in the SEAL teams, and you get to hear why. Jason and I talk about how unchecked ego fast tracks a man to entitlement and Jason gives great insight on how to give great advice uh, how great advice can come from unexpected sources and also at the back end of the conversation we talk about why Jason thinks the term toxic masculinity is simply clickbait this is a great conversation Jason and I really get into talking about some details about the military stay tuned there's a lot of nuggets here also, look at the show notes. Look at the show notes at banewman.com. For the full show notes, if there's anything you missed or any quotes, anything that you want to take away from this, you can find it on the website, banewman.com podcast. Well, today on the show, we have Jason Gardner. Jason Gardner is a former U.S. Navy SEAL, a combat leader, and now he is a leadership instructor and speaker at Echelon Front. You may have heard of Echelon Front. He works with people like Jocko Willink, and just so you know, the caliber of guest that Jason is and the man that he is, he's a recipient of the Silver Star, two Bronze Stars, a Purple Heart, and numerous other awards, so in numerous other awards certainly is the case, so I'm sure that you stacked up a bunch of uh, medals and ribbons for your time in service in the three decades that you served as a Navy SEAL rising to the ranks, to the highest enlisted rank of Command Master Chief. So that's a gigantic intro for a man that I highly respect. Jason, thank you so much for coming on the show today.
1: Hey, Chad, thanks for having me. Um, And you know, when you talk about like me becoming a Command Master Chief and, 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 and where my career took me, and my career took me where it did is just because basically I, you just take it one step at a time. Like if you look at it in total, 30 years is a long time to be a SEAL, but when you're just doing it one step at a time, you know, the days drag and the weeks fly. Mm -hmm. Um, I did well in the SEAL teams because I was surrounded by, and I always kept people that I thought were better than me Mm
0: -hmm.
1: around me. Mm -hmm. Um, Some people are... insecure in that they don't want to be outshined by a subordinate i uh, you know luckily i don't i suffered that insecurity i always when i got up to to higher levels of leadership i was always looking for those subordinates that were like this guy is way better than me i want him on my team i want him on my team and then it's great you know they see the 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 rising tide lifts all boats and and mm. so i was really lucky in my career that I was surrounded with such great people because it you know it's not all me. I'm not that great a person, but when you look at it in paper, it, it looks good. But it's because of all the, the the teams and and the folks that were around me. I didn't ever want to be a master chief. When I remember being a, a young guy and right away as a young guy I'm like, man, look at all the hassles that the Master Chief's got to deal mm-hmm. with. 90% of his time is basically chewed up with 10% of the people who are constantly getting in trouble and all that. And I'm like, I'm not sure they pay them enough to do that. And <laughs> I'm not interested in doing that, but it it got to the point where the Navy was, the Navy says, you know, like, Hey, if you, if you want to stay around, you need to start doing leadership. And so it kind of forced me out of my comfort zone because I wasn't Im- ambitious in that in that regard where I I wanted to have CMC in front of my name. I didn't care about that, but I was like, man, I'm happy coming to work. So if this is what it takes for me to stay, you know, is, is to do these jobs. Okay. I'll, I'll do them. And I tell you, usually, you know, right about the time I was a good senior chief is right about is right when I promoted to master chief. And then I think I figured out being a master chief like a day before I retired. And that's that's just how life is you know but it's uh
0: um, there's a commonality though between what you're saying though because talking about how you how you began and then also that you looked for people who were better you know who who were shining in that moment you're kind of looking for them probably for best practices or or some sort of mentoring even either directly or indirectly so there's a commonality with both with virtually all that you've talked about so far jason it's it's suppressing your ego because the ego is the very thing that says i am going to strive to make command master chief i'm going to tell everybody else how to do you know what needs to be done this is what i'm going to do or i'm going to i don't really need my you know ego it becomes the enemy i don't need people i'm good people need me i need to prove my own worth and of course all of that is rooted in insecurity, like you had mentioned earlier. So it's the suppressing of the ego that I think is really, really challenging for most guys. And yet it's what all of us need. We need to kind of render, not, not diminish our ego totally, because then it leads to false humility and just ends up right back in pride again. But uh, to some degree, I think that what you're talking about really is, is that suppressing of the ego and saying, okay, who can I learn from? And just you advanced at the level after you had kind of mastered one level. And, and then people started to recognize that in you. And, and then people promoted you. And, of course, I know that in the military, everything has to line up perfectly for somebody to become a command master chief. Like there's just like position opens and you're the guy who's there and you're capable and qualified. And, you know, and the chemistry that works, uh, you know, works in that particular area. But I want to I want to go back farther 3 decades even farther than that. Uh where did you grow up and how did you become a, a SEAL? What what happened within you that made you think wow that's really what I want to do for my career or 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 an enlistment cycle?
1: Um Okay, I'm going to take you back further than that. Like mm-hmm. 43 years. Uh I was 7 years old. My dad was a marine. We we're driving in a car and um off the base at the military Marine Corps Air Station El Toro and it's raining. I think I can see the base obstacle course as I remember it correctly, but I was very very torn at a young age because there was something about the military that was really appealing to me and at the same time I loved the outdoors I loved nature I had all these like uh, uh, field guides and I would like, you know, try to identify spiders and different bugs and all that. Mm-hmm. And so I, I, I was like, you know, I, I, do I want to join the military or do I want to um, like be some kind of naturalist or scientist or work in a zoo? So that's it's turning me. And I'm like, well, either way, I'm going to be working out. I want to work outside. So it was at that moment when I decided I am going to join the military first and then all this this other stuff that I really enjoy is going to come second. Hmm. Made it, and and I'm very lucky in that regard for most people don't really know what they're going to do with their lives until later. So my my dad's a Marine, obviously. Then I think this is what I'm going to do. I am going to be a Marine as well. Um, my dad was a JAG officer in the Marine Corps, so he wasn't in the combat arms per se, but that that's what I was going to do. I was going to join the Marines, even talk to the Marine Corps recruiter in high school for a little bit. And my dad's like, don't do it. Really? Don't. Well, and here's why, because I wanted to go to force recon, which is their special operations force.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And he's like, it's not closed loop. You're gonna have to do time in the regular Marines. You are gonna hate that.
0: Mm. Uh,
1: and he's he, he right, I would have. Um, mm. Probably not, it wouldn't have worked out for me. So at the time, uh, I was doing a martial art, and one of my instructors in this style called Kaji Kempo <laughs> that I was doing was a SEAL in Vietnam. Okay. And my parents are like, hey, do you, you know, do you know, instruct? instructor Turner was a team guy in Vietnam? I'm like, hell what's a team guy oh those are seals like what is that because there was no movies or anything like that then and there was like maybe two books so they're, they're like these guys my dad's like these guys are really really good they're a maritime special force you know and i swam and played water polo um my parents wind up buying a house on the beach in san clemente which is close to camp pendleton and so i'm like oh that sounded really appealing to me and so my dad told me, he's like, hey, the SEALs are closed loop. So if you join the Navy to become a SEAL, you can do that for your whole career. Now, nowadays, if I joined the Marine Corps, went to MARSOC, it's the same way. They're closed loop, you stay there the whole time. But it wasn't the case then. So I was like, roger that. I was lucky that my dad was still in the service. So he's like, you know, when we brainstorm this, like, well, okay. You obviously you've got to make it through buds without quitting, but what else can hinder you? Well, I could, I could fail the dive physical, so he arranged for me to have an actual dive physical done to make sure that if I went in, I would at least qualify for the teams.
0: Oh, that's so awesome.
1: I got physical done, and they're they're like, yeah, you 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 would qualify. So then it was on me. Then I enlisted in the Navy as a gunner's mate, and. They had a dive fair program at the time, which was like uh, a contract I could have taken to go to Bud's. And it was full. So I was just like, "Okay, well, then I'm just going to go in as a gunner's mate, and I'm going to take the screening course in boot camp, hopefully pass it, and get an opportunity to go to Bud's. Uh, I called the dive motivators prior to going to boot camp um, and said, hey, you know. I'm coming out there. The only reason I'm joining the Navy is because I want to be a SEAL and all this and that. So they come into to my boot camp class, and they give the brief. It's like the first, third day of boot camp. And uh, then I went and talked to the dive motivator right afterwards. I'm like, hey, I called you guys a couple of weeks ago. and You know, when I called them back in the 80s, they were like, yeah, whatever, kid. But then when I talked to the dive motivator, I'm like, hey, I called you guys a couple of weeks ago before I came to boot camp. And he's like, oh, really? Cool. Underline my name. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then, but as it turned out, everybody who wanted to screen in my boot camp class, we all got the opportunity to screen. It just only me and one other guy passed the screening. And it was it was interesting because that other guy, um, he wound up becoming a master chief in the SEAL teams too, which is oh, just cool. terrible. Our, we started our journey on the uh, on the, the aircraft together from MAPS because we both left the Los Angeles MAPS going to Great Lakes and we were in the same boot camp. Wound up being at the same team later on, and then um, did a platoon together. But yeah, the two of us went through, and, and he wound up going to a different A school, and so we did. We were in different buds classes, but our, our careers were married up, and he did thirty years as well. So kind of trippy. That is uh,
0: super, super cool. I mean, that, and to be able to follow the trajectory of a career that far, like with somebody else, that has to be really – I mean, I've never heard of that before, especially with the lengthy career that you had. Yeah.
1: I mean, but in the the teams, there's there's more than, like, the most brothers, I think. There's like three – there's one family that's got four brothers that are all SEALs and all different levels of leadership. And so it 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 happens. But uh but yeah, so that's that's how I made the decision that um you know that's what I wanted to do. And then I just grabbed onto it and held on. Now I didn't like being told what to do. And I didn't like
0: who does
1: cut my hair. (laughs) I didn't like wearing a uniform. Mm -hmm. And so I was going to do four years and get out and go do something else. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then the the four years went by and I was like, man, wait a minute. I'm pretty happy here and things are going good. So I reenlisted and the next thing you know, I'd like every enlistment was going to be my last. Mm -hmm. Um, And I did have broken service at 12 years, but that had more to do with, 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 my my son's mother at the time, really wanted me to get out of the military, so I separated and went in the reserves then mm. and then but we got divorced and uh and once that was all worked out, I came right back on active duty and then just i I checked back onto active duty August of two thousand one My timing wasn't wow. yeah wow. so i I was back, checked into the sniper cell at group one trade at, working in the sniper cell when the planes hit the towers. And then that's when the shot went off and we were just off to the races for the next, you know, what's it been two decades now of just Mm -hmm. turning and burning. So that worked out really well. It's an interesting thing, you know, when you look at it, every time that I think about where life, I've been caught in a setback it's always set me up for way better stuff in the future. For mm. example, like, prior to getting out, I was I, at 12 years I was I, I didn't make chief until 16 years in.
0: Oh, and okay. Wow.
1: there was a there was a bunch of times that I didn't even take the chief's exam because they're like, because I was getting out, you know, mm. and then getting out stalls the heck out of your career you know, even though you're in reserves, come back in. And like a lot of the guys that i go into buds with and stuff, these guys are senior chiefs they are becoming master chiefs now. And I'm not, I haven't even done my platoon chief slot yet. Mm. Uh, and then I thought, you know, wow, I, I've completely missed the bus here. And every, everyone early on in these wars, they thought they were going to end really quick. And so I do my platoon chief slot. I get, my platoon goes to the, CACOM to the Pacific Theater, while everybody else at the at, at the team I was in, they're all in Iraq in 2006, You know, so I was in the other Tasking, another than Tasking a Bruiser, and I'm looking at emails of guys like, hey, we got we killed four with a Carl Gustav and all this amazing combat yeah. that TU Bruiser is getting into. And I'm like, oh, check, uh, we just finished doing a range with the tie seals, you know, and it was. <laughs> That was, that was rough, you know, keeping my head in the game.
0: Yeah. That's actually something I wanted to talk to you about because this is something that, you know, the guys that I work with, it's, it's kind of hard for guys to stay on point, to stay focused because they feel like they're always in a training mode, whether it's something faith-based or fitness-based family finances or friendships. It's like, it seems like we're always in training mode, but yet never actually going to battle to use, you know, things from your life and I know that that seals, oftentimes people have this misconception of seals that every day you're running and gunning and you're going here and going there and it's you know you're you're in some random jungle in Cambodia and then and then they just pluck you out of there and then they drop you into Argentina and then you're doing cold you know you're doing something up in the Arctic and I know that that's not the way it is but a lot of civilians and there's a lot of civilians who listen to this, they they have this misconception about the seals and that's and really the military much of the work that the SEALs do is training. So how do you, I want to I help the, the listener now, how is it that you guys keep razor sharp when you're in so much in a non-war theater? Because now, I mean, obviously since 2001, it's, you're, you're like on go, you, you may go anywhere to war. But prior to that, and that's where you spend a bulk of your time in service, how do you keep the guys razor sharp when they feel like that they're in training mode all the time?
1: Yeah, I so my answer is gonna be kind of long. Um and I'm glad you brought that up because movies will portray portray it because they have to. You got two hours, like they're doing all the things that right. you said earlier. But you know what, what does SEAL stand for? Sleep, eat, and lay around is how usually <laughs> when we're deployed on a ship, how they think of us, or sleep, eat and lift weights. Yeah. Um so it's difficult. It's really difficult when you are in, like, I was in Paycom, which is the Pacific Theater. Guys are over in Centcom, and they're getting after it. And, that and, like, that, that's what I signed up to do as a SEAL. I signed mm-hmm. up to blow things up and shoot things, mm-hmm. okay? And it's hard to get a strategic mindset of, okay, the mission that I have here in Paycom is not glorious it's not about me it's about uh, it's 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 very strategic and decades long in in thing and you're not you're not going to get any combat awards when those deployments are over you're not going to get anything else and luckily my leadership sat me down that overseas and there were friends of mine that had promoted above me and they're like hey man your job isn't over here, isn't to be shooting bad guys. Your job is to train up all your these, these, these people that we're working with in other countries, the Thais, the Indonesians, the Malaysians, all of them, so that they can put pressure on all these terrorists in their backyard. And if the terrorists are pressured in their backyard, they can't project power overseas. Mm. That's what you're doing. And so that means your job is to run a range and do stuff that is is not it isn't sexy
0: yeah
1: and and so that's your mission and thank goodness they did that for me because they said and by the way jackass you're staying in a four-star hotel and the your your counterforce they never want to work that hard so you have weekends off most days you're done by four o'clock and then you have the opportunity to go to these places like Thailand, like Indo, like Malaysia that are mm. incredibly beautiful places mm. and experience them, you know, go ride elephants or do, do whatever else you'd go diving. I mean, in, in those life experiences, I'm, I would not trade for a thing. Mm. And so it's just different, but it took. It took someone being smart, articulating that to me and helping me out and saying, this is the role you're playing. And then back to what you were saying about checking your ego, which is so important across the board to go, okay, this, this is what I'm doing here. I'm going to find value in this. And while I thought, oh, that paycom deployment set me back, you know, then when I went and did my task at senior chief slot. I deployed to Afghanistan, which is a straight-up slugfest for eight months. Mm -hmm. Uh, My task unit had 340 hours of troops in contact. And typically, for a task unit senior enlisted advisor, usually he's stuck in a jock. But the way we were operating there, when we first got over there, our whole task unit was going in the field. That means I was going in the field every time. We did 23 missions. I went in the field for 21 of them. Man. Um, And it was just, it was an opportunity. I happened to be in the right place at the right time. Mm. And it easily could have happened that those setbacks, had I not had them, I would have promoted right past that.
0: Mm.
1: So look look, look at when I, when I was a command master chief. Command master chief of SEAL Team 5, we deployed to Iraq in 2000. Uh, sixteen and seventeen, and we are Special Operations Task Force West. We are involved with getting ISIL out of Mosul and huge section of Iraq because at the time ISIL controlled huge swath of Syria, a big mm-hmm. section of the western desert of Iraq, and most of the northern desert. And now the real fight, which they've been building up for for the past couple of years prior to that. <clears throat> is going to kick off mm. i got to go up to the front lines with my guys and fire a carl gustav at the enemy launch mortars at mm. the enemy spot for my snipers when they were engaging the enemy like a command master chief is really an administrative job
0: yeah um
1: and doing that stuff you know, not really what you're supposed to be doing but you know, I'm not going to turn it down. And I do need to be out there at the front lines with the guys as a command master chief, because at every level of leadership, there are these filters and everybody is convinced Mm -hmm. that the next echelon above them is stupid. And the echelon below them is stupid. And that's where the senior enlisted make their money is you're able to transition all those levels. So for instance, I can be out there on the front lines sitting in a in you know a building that they've taken over where they got their jock and they're calling fires in on the enemy and they're frustrated because they're not getting the authorization to drop bombs when they need them Mm -hmm. and i can say guys listen i guarantee you right now the commanding officer is on the phone with the general that we have to authorize this strike with and He's just as frustrated as you are, and believe me, he wants to to bring the pain as much as you do. And here's a couple things that you can do to help him make his job easier. Vice versa, I'd be back in the jock in the you know our joint operations center where everyone's looking at screens, and. People are saying, hey, the guys on the ground are saying they're taking fire from building Bravo 17, and I don't think they're taking fire from it. And be able to tell that guy, hey, you're inside. You can't tell everything. Don't second guess that guy out in the field.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's beautiful, those- really, because no. you can, the, the farther you went up in leadership, I mean, your your vantage point is you, you remember what it was like to be that lower enlisted guy. And then as long as is those positions, it doesn't like get to your head and here's the ego piece again, right? It's as soon as you you go from back in our day when, uh, well, at least my Navy, wearing dungarees and then you go to wear khakis, you know, it's and that happens for uh, you (laughs) non-Navy people who don't really know Navy language. As an E6 and below, you have to wear dungarees most of the time, unless you're, wear a, seal, you're a SEAL, and then you wear short shorts and T-shirts. But uh, that's a little joke we had <laughs> whenever I was in. But it's like you'd wear dungarees, but once you make E7, you put on khaki. So it's, it's a, a higher level of leadership, just so you know what Jason's talking about and where I'm going with this next statement. So one of the great things is, is when you would go into the Joint Operations Center, then you'd be able to communicate and know, hey, this trust this guy knows what he's doing. He's not an idiot. And yet you could also speak to that E5 ground pounder of what's going on in the jock to say, no, 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 listen, he's looking at something too. We're on the same page. And mm-hmm. I think the, the senior enlisted advisor in that role, uh, it sounds like anyway, it's really, really valuable because you can bridge the gap between uh, rank and also just where they are in the battlefield. That's exactly
1: what they're supposed to be doing. And what's helpful and what's helpful for me is never losing that perspective on how I felt about a command master chief or any, we used to call them when I the, you were talking about the khakis, we used to call them khaki monsters. Right.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And so I remember how I felt anytime someone yelled at me to cut my hair or yelled at me that my boots weren't bloused correctly or whatever. And so when, when I was a, command master chief i still remembered that Mm. but then i now i also understood why why a uniform is important and why grooming standards are important and so instead of yelling at people most time i would like hey this is why it's important
0: Mm.
1: for you to get a haircut and this is why it's important for you to be in the right uniform instead of just yelling at them and then just, just educating people. And it seemed to work better. And it's what worked for me when I was an E5. I remember a chief that I really respected. I was in his room one day talking to him and I was on deployment. And he's like, man, why don't you ever cut your hair? I was like, what do you mean? He goes, you get your hair cut and the day you get the hair, your hair cut, you're pushing the regs. That means the very next day, you're out of regs. And he goes, why don't you get your haircut? It's so easy and your life is going to be so much easier if you do it. So I wasn't getting my haircut because I didn't like being told what to do. Yeah. And the, the, I was just young and, and immature. So I thought about what he said because instead of screaming at me to get my haircut, he just had a conversation with mm-hmm. me and I tried it. I'm like, okay, I want to have a square to a uniform and I'm going to make sure in my hair cut squared away. I look good. Holy cow. My life got, I, I mean, I could measure how fast my life got easier <laughs> within like a week, within like a week, people were leaving me alone or they were giving me more responsibility. The, the, the bottom line is it wound up that I had more freedom of movement to do things. And he was, he was right.
0: Uh, and you could, I mean, you just showed that you weren't just going to buck authority. I mean, I think to some degree, you know, when guys are younger, I think we all kind of play that card, right? It's like pushing against authority and, you know, I was the same way. I was kind of the rebellious teenager, even going into the Navy, very much into, uh, I was into the skateboarding scene, the punk rock scene, like that was my world. And then into all of that, I loved all of that. I loved the, you know, just the rebellious part of that. And yet at the end of the day, when you start to mature, you start to realize, wow, my, you know, when I actually play within the rules, people treat me like a man instead of a boy. And I'm not saying that they did that for Mm -hmm. you, Jason, but it's from the other side of it now. And you and I are close in age. I look at a lot of younger guys and they just do things and they just do stupid things. And I'm like, your life would be a lot easier if you would just, just do what it is that you're supposed to do instead of asking why. And really you just, you want a loophole, you want an out. And just to do the thing that you're supposed to do. I wanna touch on something, just uh, I thought about this as you were telling that story the idea of entitlement. So many times, as we progress in life, maybe we get to a place in life where we get to a, a position at work or in the military or putting on khakis, you know, the khaki monsters you're talking about as you take an E7. So many times that that ego then renders itself out to where we become like entitled we think well i I've earned the place that i've you know i'm at this place, but I earned it it's up to me mm-hmm. and, and and so much of that it can get in the way and it didn't sound like that's what happened with you instead you're always looking for the next person to say, "How can I improve as an individual, not necessarily that you're climbing the ladder because what's implied when we start thinking about climbing the ladder is being, being willing to step on other people's necks to do it. And yet I look at it in another way. I think that, that for where I am as a man, I'm standing on the shoulders of other great men and whether it was in my family, uh, family of origin or outside of my family of origin, but I'm standing on the shoulders of men. And I want to, I want to pivot here for a minute and talk about mentors because I listened to a podcast that you had with Jocko. I listened to both uh, both episodes. Man, you guys rocked on for like four hours or five hours in those. I listened to all of it. It was great. As a matter of fact, I went back through and listened to the episode one again. It was it's just it's solid stuff. But you talk about a mentor and a mentor gave you some advice. He says, "No matter where you go, run for mayor." Talk about that if you would. If you if you remember, I'm sure you remember it, but.
1: Oh yeah. Yeah. In fact, I, I, so that was Monty tree size and he, you know, I talked to him and I got permission to use his name. When, whenever I'm talking about publicly, I always check with folks, yeah. but uh, there's something that here, here's why <clears throat> I was always looking to improve. One of the reasons is because I I've had him, I suffer from imposter syndrome yeah. okay. and so, like when I went to Bud's, I felt like a little kid. And I felt like at any minute, someone's going to go, hey, wait a minute. Gardner is just a little kid. What is he doing here with the men? And so what that forced me to do and always forces me to do is to work harder. Because mm-hmm. I don't, I'm like, I'm not sure that I belong here. And so that builds in that kind of humility. And so that's, it's really, really kind of a cool, you know, and i'm i'm going to get back around amani here in a second but like the rebellious youth if it wasn't in our species nature to have our young folks rebel we would never evolve
0: hmm.
1: We would never change. We would just be doing the same thing. We would just get in in line and work the algorithm Mm. until it was dead and there would never be any evolution. So it's Mm. really, really good while it causes friction and it forces us to be uncomfortable. I'm glad that punk rock kids next year and the year after that are always bucking the system or saying, why are we doing stuff this way? And here's a way to do it better. And in general, they're just saying, we're mm-hmm. going to figure it out because that is healthy. Mm-hmm. Um, so back to Monty. I mean, Monty, <coughs> so we're I'm deployed, 1995, I'm deployed on a ship. And in, in pre-9-11, this, that's how the SEALs deployed, we're, we're on ships. And so when you're a SEAL on a ship, you're kind of like a celebrity on the ship. Mm-hmm. <coughs> and, and some of the team guys... You know, they, they were, they didn't do it right. They, they would act better than everybody else. Mm. They would act aloof and like act like they had a sense of entitlement. Mm. Um, and I watched Monty very closely because he's one of my leaders. And that's one of the things about leadership is the folks that are working for you are going to learn more from what you do and how you act than what you actually say. Mm-hmm. And I watched Monty. So when Monty's going through the chow line in the galley. He knows everybody behind the chow line and he's talking to them. And, you know, on the Ogden, which is LPD-5 is a ship we're deployed on. You you can see the the kitchen is back there behind the serving line. And he's joking with people back there. And when he's walking around the ship, he knows everybody. He knows people in the deck division. He knows people in engineering. He knows them all. Hmm. And I also noticed... That when Monty went through the chow line he got more he got the best food and more of it Hmm. and when the air conditioning broke on the ship and we you know of course we're at water hours too somebody came down to our birthing space from engineering and wired a fan up on his rack so he'd be comfortable and when I saw that I'm like Monty wow how did you get this to happen? And he just smiled at me and he said, Jason, wherever you wherever you go, run for mayor. And he didn't mean it in the duplicitous way of like, you know, be two-faced, but he meant it just like be a good person, mm-hmm. develop these relationships, treat everyone with respect. Mm-hmm. And as a result, you will get a huge amount of respect in return. <clears throat> and so like when I was a task unit, senior enlisted advisor, and we did our task unit picture, we purposely did our picture with all of our support in it.
0: Well, that's smart.
1: EELs can't be SEALs unless there's, ad, unless there's ad, aren't admin people to make sure they're getting paid. They can't be SEALs if there aren't the CBs there to make sure their logistics are taken care of, all their, all their vehicles are up and running, they got a place to live. They can't be SEALs without the gunner's mates making sure their weapons are running and they got all the ammo ordered and all that other stuff. The medical folks, the the N6 the folks, which is like five different ratings, making sure their computers and comms are up running. Mm. And if you're treating them like second-class citizens or we're entitled to their support, guess, guess what kind of support you get? You get crappy support.
0: Yeah, yeah. But if
1: you say to them, Hey, I know your job isn't, your is your job isn't as sexy as these guys that are going out, but it's also a little bit more comfortable because you're staying inside the wire and you're not getting shot at in you're air conditioning, and you can go eat three hot meals a day. Mm-hmm. But we can't do our job without your job. You're part of this family. You are part of Task Unit Trident. Our support gave us one hundred and ten percent.
0: Yeah, that's awesome. I remember listening to uh, some podcast with Jocko a while back, and he was talking about some. Uh, he was talking about it from the other side of it. Of course, he he became a task unit commander and all that of of uh, task unit Bruiser. But what's really interesting is he talked about it on the other side of it. He said when the seals come in, basically when you guys come out of the field or you've been doing you know water water warfare or whatever jungle wherever it is that you've been whatever theater, he would tell the the people the support people he says if there's nowhere to sit get out of the way so they can come and sit. So he he actually talked about it from the other side of it too and I think it's really cool how that cycle kind of feeds itself. You know, you're saying run for mayor and then he was he talked about instructing people who were who were basically in that air conditioning to say get out of the way, take care of these guys, we're all in it together and just because they're not here all the time, remember that the support people are supporting them and what you're saying is remember we couldn't do what we do without their support. That's just a really cool connection
1: it's it's a crazy dichotomy and he's doing the same thing <clears throat> he's educating everybody on on what the other stuff you know what the other side is because these resentments they build up mm-hmm. um, and that's just being polite right if you're in the air conditioning all the time get out of the way when the new people come on you and you know what clean that stuff up for me is I would take like when I was a, when I was an ops master chief, at, at, at a team. And, and I did that job for a whole cycle prior to becoming CMC. You know, the admin people, all they know is that office that they're in. Yeah. They don't, they don't know the training venues that the guys go to. They know the seals go off and train and get big per diem check, but they don't know what it's like. So I like, Hey, I I couldn't ever shut admin down for a complete day, but I could take half of them for a day and bring them out to the desert training facility and let them see how the guys are living, how they live and how hot it is and how hard they train. Hmm. And then another day I could take the rest of them. And every time I did that, oh, did that clean up a lot of the, it cleaned up all those friction points because, one thing it did is the seals are like, hey, check it out. That's 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 the admin guy that's out here at our training block, and th- and they would go, hey, come here. Hey, you want to hold our weapons? You want to get a couple pictures with our weapons? They develop that relationship, and then the admin guys are like, this is all, th- this sucks. Like, I'm glad I'm not out here in the desert doing this heat hot, hot job, but I'm super stoked that I'm invited and that they're you know and so it cleans up all those animosities that develop and they develop and they were bad in any combat force resents the rear echelon they, they call them the remps in vietnam uh, in our wars they called them the fobbits and those are the guys that never left the ford operating base
0: mm-hmm. you know i had a guy just
1: send the fobbits all you want and make fun of them but if they're not there you can't go out and fight so find the happy medium is 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 basically my point
0: yeah that's that's amazing i was i hadn't really connected the dots on this but whenever i was in i was in an f-18 squadron and i remember that i there was one guy who was lieutenant at the time i think he either ended his i think he either ended his military service as a captain or rear admiral i can't remember but he had made his way up and he was only a lieutenant at this time. And I remember I'm standing watch, you know, I'm standing at the gate guards, like the most lonely, nobody wants to be the gate guard, right? Because that, that's like an extension to when you're actually supposed to be like at work. So the, it never worked out like during your normal day. So, so it was just tacked onto your day. And I'm standing there and I give this guy just, a. I just pop a salute. I mean, I just, it was like I was saluting Patton, you know, I mean, it was just crisp. And he, he looks at me and he was like, he, well, I'm not going to say what he said. He said some expletive to me uh, in regards to that. He's like, who do you think I am? And I was like, well, I'm going to salute you. And it was fine. And I didn't do it being sarcastic. I just, you know, he's a fighter pilot. He seemed like a pretty up, you know, a pretty straight-laced guy. Wouldn't you know it, that a couple weeks later, the same guy, I, he, he, I was standing watch again and he came by. And he said, "Hey, uh, what time do you get off watch?" And I told him. He said, "When you get off watch, he said, uh, I want to, I want to take you somewhere." I was like, oh, "That's cool." Like, I don't know what this, what this means, but what am I going to do? You're a commission officer, and I'm like an E three, you know, yeah. and or you know E two E three. So I said, "Okay." He ends up taking me uh, after I get off watch. He takes me. He, I go in his POV, his personal own vehicle. It's a sweet Jeep. And I'm not going to say his name in case he listens to this because he might, because um, of the, some of the communities I'm connected with. So then we ended up going in his jeep, and he takes me over to like the tactical center to where everything, all of the missions, because I was support, I was support team. I basically uh, worked on jet engines on F-18s. So he basically took me into this room where all of the the war games and all the air games, all the everything that had been going on, where all of that was playing out, where all of the scopes and all of these machines, and basically showing me the inner workings as to what I had been doing. I'd been working on aircraft, supporting them so they could go out and and fly these missions. And it was the coolest thing. I hadn't really connected the dots on that until you had said that, Jason, because that's what he was doing for me. And I had respect for him. I mean, he was, you know, he was wound pretty tight. I'm not going to lie. And a lot of people would maybe say things about him. But I was like, He was pretty. I mean, he was cool for me. Uh, He took me out, and he didn't have to do that. He went out of his way to do that, and it was, uh, I guess, in essence, his way of of running for mayor.
1: Oh gosh, absolutely! And then, then, what's that do for you? Every time you turn in the wrench, you're like, man, I'm part of this bigger thing. This is really important that I do a better job.
0: Yeah. (coughs) Yeah, and then and then it isn't just some, you know, some random. Uh, butter bar or you know silver bar or, or whatever. A lieutenant going out, they're just like, I know this guy. You know, there's skin in the game. Mm-hmm. We, we want them deployment together. You know, as I service the aircraft, is like this is his aircraft and he's flying in it. And I don't know. It just it really tore down the wall. You know, and so many times I think a lot of people don't realize this military. There's such a wall that can form in between ranks. There can be such a wall that forms between obviously commissioned officer enlisted, but then also senior enlisted and then lower enlisted. What mm-hmm. I, I wanted us to talk about, too, in, in, in regards to some of this, in some, uh, I, I've never operated on a SEAL team, never been around a, a SEAL team, other than in the chow line one time. Had some great conversations with SEALs, and these guys actually could talk to me. And the reason why I joke around about SEALs operating and just walking around with T-shirts and then gym shorts is because that's how they were on my ship. Like, mm-hmm. that's all I knew of SEALs. Uh, maybe a random picture, but these guys, but these guys were cool. But I wanted to talk about this. I don't know a lot about this, but I've only heard some, some stories, scuttlebutt, if you will, using, you know, Navy gossip, um, that when SEALs get done with with some sort of action, whether it's training or whether it's something on the battlefield, I, I've been told that they go into maybe the ready room and they discuss everything that had happened during that action but I've also heard that when they go into the room, it's kind of like they put the rank aside and yet you just have a conversation as, as an operator and not necessarily it walled up. Of course, you respect the rank and those. I'm not saying you don't do that. But instead of it, like even the, the lowest enlisted guy has, he has valuable input and people want to hear that. Is that true or is that just, is that some fable that I've heard through the years?
1: That's completely true. And that's why the seal teams were so successful because we are not tied to a specific framework or doctrine mm. and because the seal teams initially were so stinking small and we're a lot bigger now than we were but we still have that at our core where mm. we're not tied to a doctrine and we are constantly in this loop where the debriefs that you're talking about it happens all the time it is ingrained in our culture mm. to where if we went out and did it so if we go out all through training every time we do do a training run we come back and we debrief it what did you do what did we do well what can we do better mm. and uh, everybody has input your input is waste weighted based on your experience right so A new guy, his his input on how to clear a room is not as weighted as well as someone who's actually done it for real on deployment, but he can still, he can talk. And if he's smart about how he articulates it and he's got a good way to do it, we'll consider it Hmm. and change how we do business. And this is why that, okay, we're a maritime force, right? Really not supposed to be, away from the ocean or any main body of water. And yet, when I deployed in 2016, 17, we were Special Operations Task Force West and we actually controlled the Siege of sodaf Naval Special Warfare was controlling <laughs> the Special Operations mission in Iraq for the whole country. <laughs> yeah. And it's because we did a good job and everyone recognized it and we do well because we are very agile mm. and we're we the reason we're agile is we're able to adapt because we're constantly looking at how we're doing things and how we can do them better.
0: How does it keep from getting inbred because I could see that you know it, it it just become it can become circular reasoning because it's like it's the seal way of doing it. How is it that they they hold that dichotomy and tension of okay the new guy he may have just come out of training or something to where obviously his he's he's going to have to, he can say something, but people are not going to listen to him like they would somebody who's done that a hundred times. And yet, how do you keep, how do you keep that dichotomy alive to where the, the, the lower enlisted guy, lower experienced guy feels like he can add something in a space with people more experienced and mature. Like how, how does that, how does that work without it becoming then just circular reasoning? Well, this is what the SEALs have done. And this is just what we always do.
1: So the it's built into our culture and, and honestly a new guy can't come okay. and do a thing and tell us how to change our tactics um, because he just doesn't know enough. And a lot of times when I tell new guys and I give them advice, I'm like, just, you, you know, be a sponge, keep your mouth shut, keep your ears open. Mm-hmm. However, Look, at, uh, I will give you an example here of, of how uh, a younger guy changed things. We had a younger guy who, before he joined the Navy, built video games. Hmm. He was a software engineer, right? And he looked at how we were doing. So for our joint tactical air controllers, they had to go to this simulator to able to get calls to stay current right they could either go do it for real but that's tricky because the aircraft aren't always available and it's hard to keep your current your currency up so they they built this million dollar simulator which was broken all the time
0: hmm.
1: this guy's like hey i can design software where we can do this virtually with an oculus headset and a couple of computers for uh a reasonable amount of money and we can do this much cheaper And for a lot more people. So instead of having one simulator that can hold one person at a time, I, for the same money, I can do simulators that are all over the place and people can do it in their platoon space. Wow. And uh, people are like, that's it. Mm -hmm. And so because it's ingrained in our culture, so as we're doing stuff in Naval Special Warfare and, and I'm saying we, I'm not part of Naval Special War anymore, but I- I still know how they are, they have, they're constantly looking forward at how we can do things better. It's engraved in our culture. Mm. Like there's this constant system of improvement. Like, Mm. hey, we did really good that time. How can we do it better next time? And we go through that process. Do we get caught in like, hey, well we did that really good and we're good at this now? Absolutely, that's Mm. a trap. That's a glue trap that catches everybody. Hmm. But because of the way our culture is, the constantly questioning things, constantly trying to approve how things are doing it, we're predisposed to get caught in that trap less than any other organization. But we absolutely get caught in that
0: trap. Hmm. Sure. So much of it sounds like to do with mindset too. It's just you want to continually, everybody seems to be just on board to continually improve. And yeah. I, would, I would give an opinion that if a guy doesn't have that as kind of the basis as to what he wants to do, he's probably going to not make it as a career seal. He's probably going to get bounced out because with that is it takes a certain type of person to say it isn't about necessarily just me improving. It's about all of us improving. But we all can improve until I also improve. So it isn't me trying to strive to be better than you. It's when I become better, then we all become better. Do you think that's a fair assessment?
1: Yes and no. So the SEALs are not, we are not immune to dirtbags. And so just like any other community of people, we've got stellar performers and we have People who are not stellar performers. We have folks that are career minded. We have folks that are short sighted. And we have folks that only care about themselves. We're very lucky that, on the whole, if you look at the community writ large, the majority of the folks are doing exactly what you're talking about doing. And they're worried about moving the community forward mm-hmm. instead of moving themselves forward.
0: Mm-hmm. Okay. So, what would you say are some of the intangibles? I mean, uh, you know, SEALs are known to operate in teams, and yet highly trained, high level, a lot of alpha males, a lot of, I mean, just a lot of energy and youth and all this stuff going into it, spanning generations. I think about your, you know, 30 years as a SEAL, and, you know, in that is representing probably three different generations of people who you've seen, and they think differently, and they are differently. How do you guys form teams that are that operate so well, so high level, and yet with different races and and generations and nationalities and like everybody, they come in with a lot of these differences and how do those differences not divide the teams?
1: They can, Mm -hmm. but the overall thing is, is that once you become a SEAL, you begin to identify with the fact that you are a SEAL and then all that other stuff is secondary mm. you know the marine corps has a saying all marines are green right mm. there are no in in for a while they you know dark green or light green that was stupid now and and you know essentially in the seal teams everybody's a seal first and all those other things are different now those those issues of the ideas of, of different ideologies and different races, they exist in society. And so to a lesser extent, they exist in the SEAL teams. Right. But because everyone is, what they're identifying with is the fact that they're a SEAL and all that other stuff is secondary is what helps get beyond that. And what else helps us to keep improving is that healthy sense of competition. Okay. Like. When a guy does better at a pistol run and he's like, hey, do you know that, that I kind of, he'll, he'll say he did better and then most times he'll show other people like, hey, do you know what I did? I moved my, uh, my holster to this position because it's, it's, it's a faster draw. Hmm. Or I noticed with, instead of sprinting to that obstacle and getting my heart rate up so high that then I can't take a steady shot, I moved quick to that obstacle, but I didn't go at a dead sprint where I could control my heart rate. And then I was capable of firing, you know, more accurately. And and so we're constantly doing that. And and for the most part, it's this friendly competition. Mm -hmm. And I'm really glad that you brought up that aspect of seeing different generations. Because all the time I hear complaining about the Millennials or whatever the next generation is. And it isn't clear to me that any of the generations are bad because I thought that like the new guys that I saw as a Master Chief, those new guys were way better than the levels that I thought I was at when I came into the teams. Awesome. Um, And the facts that, you know, like people say, oh, the Millennials want to know why? Well, good you better be telling people why they're doing what they're doing or they can't do it. Mm. Right. If people don't understand what the overall end state is, they can't get there. They just muddle around and confuse stuff. Mm. So I, I was always impressed with the generations coming up. And, and I feel like as I handed the baton off at the end of my career, that they were going to take it to, to places um, much further than my generation was capable of, of getting to.
0: I have a, I have, I have, I have, I don't know if my perspective is right on this, but I, I have a hunch that the percentage of people who make it through buds hasn't probably changed that much over the last 30 years. It's probably about the same oh. percent of people in a team. So if you have three different generations and it's producing the same amount of people going through buds who then become seal candidates and then make it to a team, I mean, there's something there too, right? It's like, it, Apparently, those generations aren't altogether bad. There's there's creamy the crop, and there's duds in every single generation.
1: Yeah, it, and you're you're absolutely right. And and the attrition rate hasn't changed. And it's frustrated the Navy because they spend a lot of money on training guys that they're going to lose seventy percent of them. Yeah. And so they've attempted to to figure out how to recruit and figure out what that person is. Haven't figured it out
0: yet. <laughs> Not what even uh, with all the all of the pre-screening and all the testing and I and even now I know that there's other things. If somebody wants to go on a SEAL, there's all sorts of training programs, I think, to even help uh prepare somebody to go to BUDS, I mean, as much as you can. I mean, you can't mm-hmm. uh, you can't replicate that in total, but I, I think they just try and, you know, keep them sleep deprived as much as they can and then uh, you know, work them to death. But uh, even with all of that, they still have been able to dial that in, huh? Still 70%. Love it. Uh, I think that's awesome, truthfully. I mean, I, of course, the government's trying to, they always want to try and refine it to, you know, less waste, less money, better individuals at the end of the day. I've, I've never been through the process. I've talked to a, a lot of uh, men like you who have been, and I'm thankful that it is what it is. I don't think they need to lower the standards one iota.
1: And 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 understand they're not trying to lower the standards oh, at all. Yeah, they're trying to like, hey, when we spend all these recruiting dollars, mm-hmm. we're losing seventy percent of our money. So how can we target our yeah. recruiting to mm-hmm. select someone that's you know a little bit better so that they make it all the way through? I think that's the angle that they're looking at, and and what what NSW has been trying to do for a long time. Um you know, our fame with the movies and all that, it, it it was a double-edged sword, but it was something that really our brand, advertised our brand and made it to where we were able to attract an, an crazy amount of talent mm. um, towards NSW and talent that wouldn't have been there before had they not done a lot of the movies and not done, you know, gone as public as they had. But still, seventy percent attrition rate, and maybe that's just it's just what it what it's going to be for now or forever.
0: Yeah. So basically, what you're saying is, Charlie Sheen in Navy SEALs did uh, what Tom Cruise did for Top Gun. <laughs> like, like yeah. for me, the reason why things. the reason why I went and did what I did is because I, I watched Top Gun, and I'm like, that looks pretty cool working on a flight deck, you know, during flight ops at night. It looks dangerous. It looks really neat working on jets to be able to go, you know, travel the world and all that full steam ahead or full speed ahead, whatever the, whatever the mantra was at the time. So it's funny that all these, you know, the movies, and of course, I think that was the first big one, uh, Navy SEALs old school. It just shows that I'm old school too, I guess, but uh, all of those, and then the movies that have come after that, there's definitely some, some fame that has been brought your way, which I, it like you say, I could see how it'd be a double-edged sword. In one regard, I think that you guys are getting some attention that I think is great and warranted. And yet it probably also gets you some attention that you don't want (laughs) also. So I could see how it'd work both ways.
1: Yeah. I mean, the biggest problem we had was, I think we got to a point where we started to, when when you start to believe your own press it can be dangerous
0: absolutely and
1: um there were times when some of the problems we were having was was a result of our sense of entitlement mm. and us you know thinking some of these things and but we worked through that as a community and i think it's all good i think they got their arms around it now
0: mm. yeah i could see how that I mean that can creep up for anyone. Certainly, any guy who's listening to this right now, any of us. We there's been so many things that you've said today that we can connect with. I mean, the mindset, the, the just the growth mindset of trying to position ourselves. Uh, you know, looking at somebody who's excelling in an area and looking towards that to say, I I don't know what that guy's doing, but I want to pay attention to him because he's better at it. us running for mayor. Obviously, there's something there suppressing our ego. And now even in this conversation, you know this part of the conversation, there's, there's so much here that a guy can address of saying, okay, don't let that sense of entitlement come in. Because as guys, we can become so inflamed and we can, in a metaphorical way, we can read our own press so much and we can become so lofty and we think, well, we're men, we're entitled to this and miss the very essence that I think a man was created for is is to work provide protect uh ultimately I think that 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 guys need to live to glorify God and also bring good into the world, and we do that when we're being the men we're supposed to be, and we need other men around us to help us, and I think you know Navy seals, you guys have the whole team dynamic really dialed in. I think so many of of us now as civilians can learn from that and just Again, the stuff that you've talked about, things that that we need to help form a band of brothers uh, to help us to to stay straight and keep going forward in the way that is is, is better for us, our relationships, and also, I think just the world. So, I want to ask you this question. um and and we're kind of winding down the podcast. but I want to ask you this question, Jason, of of the things that are happening today in the world as far as it pertains to men. I think that here's my opinion. I think that there's an an outright assault on men. Do you agree with that assessment? No. You don't? No. Okay. Please please share why. Cuz
1: it's clickbait. Okay. It's clickbait. When who whatever news agency they'll find somebody out there that's living in on some obscure college campus or in some west coast city that's gonna say, uh, you know, all these problems are because of toxic masculinity. Mm-hmm. People don't really believe that. Hmm. People people aren't there there's a reason why. A, who are our action heroes right now? Who, who, who is it? You know, it's, it's, it's guys like Russell Crowe. It's, um, uh, Jason Statham, guys like that. They're not feminine. Right. They're good to go. And anytime they're in a movie, that's what people go to see. And so I think that people believe that there's an assault on masculinity and, Maybe there, you know, there is, but it's not effective because it's not changing anything out there in the real world. I look down at like how I, I I just I just look at it and I'm not seeing it. and 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 so like when people say, "Oh, kids are getting weaker, my kids aren't. My kids are outside walking around with their shirts off and it's snowing outside, right? <laughs> and, you know, Maybe city kids are, are a little weaker or someone that lives somewhere, but that's always been the case and it always right. will be. And I, I, I'm I, not sure that there is an assault on masculinity any, any more than there ever has been. I think that ideas about what masculinity is need to continually evolve
0: mm.
1: and uh, anybody who has the idea wrongfully so that being a man is being a bully. Right. Wrong. And it's important mm-hmm. for us as men to set the example for each other. And that's, that's one of the things real important is like set the example. When folks talk about toxic masculinity, to me, they're really talking about things that are not masculine. They're just things that aren't cool. And unfortunately for the most part, because of, how testosterone lays it out, it's men. More often than not, it's men that are bullies. Right. More yeah. often. I
0: mean, that's uh, part of that is just literally it's our biology. So it, it's it we we are more aggressive. Testosterone mm-hmm. gets released as you know as a teenager during puberty. We just have this surge of testosterone, which is why you know guys like you you and I in our our youth we went to that aggressive music and the, those kinds of things. It's also a reason why I think it's kind of proven over time is young boys, teenage boys, they're the heroes are people who you're talking about. Okay. The, the Russell Crowes, the gladiator, Braveheart, you know, William Wallace and, and that whole perspective, the maybe sports stars. Um, and definitely the, I think that that is, is in alignment with, with what I see in the world too. I think if, to me, I think I would disagree a little bit. I think that there is an assault on masculinity, but I would agree in this, in this perspective. I think that there's an assault on masculinity, but I believe it is being ineffective. I do believe it's being ineffective. And I think that there's a minority of people in the world who have the megaphone right now. And because that minority has the megaphone, they're they're trying to make it seem like it's a bigger issue than it is. And you mentioned the word, and again, it's my opinion, but you mentioned the uh, the words toxic masculinity. I actually don't even think that that terminology exists. It's either masculinity or it's not. So I don't even take that, you know, you say that it's clickbait, which I, I love the way you referred to that. It's toxic masculinity. I think masculinity in, in, its, in its form is either masculinity or it's not. There's no toxic version of it. Uh, there could be men acting badly, but that is not toxic masculinity because an essence of masculinity is that protector, provider, uh, being that kind of man, using agency, using our power to empower others, and so if we're not doing that, we're not actually using our masculinity. So therefore, I think the that terminology is so much like what you're saying; it's just clickbait, toxic masculinity. I think it's clickbait, and I I'm of the presumption that it doesn't even exist.
1: No, I I, I completely agree with you on that. The 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 toxic masculinity that phrase is an example of what you're talking about about an assault on masculinity where they're taking a bunch of negative things and then they're they're saying the, attaching them to men or masculinity in general when it's it doesn't apply and I don't so to to nuance what i said i don't, there may be people out there that think that way i just don't think it's an effective deal and you have to die you have to understand that this is how people get ratings. This is how they get you. They get you upset, so you're gonna click on something because we are genetically predisposed to pay <laughs> attention to stuff that is going to upset us or cause a threat. And so, when you know the media runs a thing that says, "Hey, math is racist," you're gonna go, "What the heck?" and you're gonna pay <laughs> attention to it.
0: And, it's and so then true.
1: When you watch the article, you're like, "Yeah." The, the person saying that is saying someone else is saying that they're not even a real person. Yep. Cause we all know that if the world was flat, the cats would have pushed everything off of it by now.
0: <laughs> well said. I oh, love that. Yeah. I mean, that is just so true. And it's just, it's such the world we live in. And, and I'm trying to within the community that, that I'm with around me right now, and just the outer community that's influenced by this podcast I want us to be guys not to take the bait, right? I say that all the time. Don't take the bait. Don't take the bait. And, and, you know, the clickbait is definitely part of it. It's getting all spurred up over these little peripheral things. And here's the thing I know about me, and maybe it's true of you, Jason, but it's true, I think, of, of most or maybe all guys It's like whatever we have our eyes on is what has our attention. And whatever has our attention most likely has our affection. So we're going to create longings based off of this. So if we look and we take the bait, there's like something there that's getting under our skin. We're going to chase hard after this. And most likely, we're going to miss the thing we actually should do, which is right in front of us. Mm Mm-hmm. And that's that's like so, so many times in my life, that's what it is for me. I deviate off course by these peripheral things that never deserved my attention. Instead, mm-hmm. I should just do the thing that's right in front of me. I should just address the community that's right in front of me, the community of men that I'm pouring into, the the work that I'm trying to do to ad- advance and make the world a better place. It's like we should just do these things instead of getting all caught up in, you know, in the titles of articles and all of this other clickbait. Any, any thoughts on that?
1: Yeah. I mean, that's
0: why Admiral Craven's speech that he gave
1: was so amazing. Cause he's like, Hey, you want to, you graduate in college right now. You want to make the world a better place, make your bed every morning. Oh man. So this good. is why, you know, Jordan Peterson talks about make sure your own room is in order before you go out and, and, uh, Assault the rest of the world. So when you're looking to improve things you look inwardly first and then you look outward in Concentric circles. Yes, so that starts with you then it's your family And then it's your community and then after that you start to worry about what's going on in Washington And whether or not you should get fired up about the news but most of the time on the news there's somebody saying something ridiculous and I'm convinced that a lot of the people they have on don't even really think some of the stuff they're saying, mm-hmm. but because they say it, you feel like, dang it, this is in my neighborhood, you know?
0: Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, we, we have such a, a, a closed loop society too, because of social media and just regular, regular media, uh, whether through podcasts or, or Fox News or CNN, MSNBC, whatever, all of these, we have such a closed system and just kind of warring back and forth and uh, and again that's why i'm just trying to help all of us as as men to be the best men that we can be and not take debate in that in that regard to stay focused on the task at hand to move forward in the community that's around us so we can all become better men uh, uh, you know run for mayor just like the great advice that you got and that the guys are receiving today run for mayor, deal with the issues that are in front of you. If there's, if there's a peripheral thing, let somebody else handle it. If it's not right in front of you, it probably doesn't need all of your attention. So I know that you have to be done here in 12 minutes. So I want to uh, just, you know, if there's any last words that you would have for the audience today, Jason, I want you to be able to do that before we wind the show down.
1: Yeah. For everybody out there, I would like for you to work on developing a sense of kindness. Mm. And by that, I don't mean softness. I don't mean complacency. I mean, like, when you look at yourself in the mirror and you look at all the faults that you have, be kind to yourself. Your faults are your actions. They're not who you are. Mm. If You mess up and you drink five beers in a night that doesn't make you necessarily a drunk. Mm -hmm. So, hey, next time, fix those actions, but don't have that shame and think you're a bad person. And then I would like you to to look at everyone else out there in the world with a sense of kindness and in your mind, think that they're doing the best that they can. Mm -hmm. So when you run across that homeless person who, Gosh, it's really annoying. They've got a tent and and, uh, uh, a dang shopping cart full of stuff out there. And you're like, hey, you don't know what their life is like. And I guarantee you their life isn't good because they're sleeping outside. Mm -hmm. And so look at them from a sense of kindness. And I'm not sure that giving them the money in your pocket is necessarily a kind thing but having a little bit of empathy for the situation that they're in is. And and that's something that I've tried to add into the other things that I think are going to make me a better man and a better human being is, is that sense of having a sense of kindness.
0: Well said, I mean, that is some great, great advice. And I didn't expect you to say that. I didn't know what you would say, but I didn't expect you to say that. But man, that just really got me thinking. And, uh, and I know will for the guys who are listening, too. That's, that is great input. Jason, thank you so much for coming on the show today. Um, is How can guys connect with you? What else is going on right now? Uh, connect with you, whether socially or maybe some work that you're doing. What, uh, how can we you know, kind of help what you're doing?
1: Yeah. Hey, I uh, I'm a leadership instructor with Echelon Front, and uh, we solve problems through leadership. Any problem that your organization or company is having, it's a leadership problem. Period. And that's what we help people do. So if you're interested in you know having me come speak or looking at what we're doing, you can go to echelonfront.com. Or if you want just something more passive where you just want to see what I'm up to, you can follow me on Instagram at jason.n.gardner and I'll post things that I'm doing with my family. I post stuff from, you know, old combat photos and I tell war stories and things like that online. So it's it's a whole mishmash of all those things about me just living, you know, a homesteading lifestyle and then still lots of memoirs about combat and the SEAL team. Awesome.
0: Awesome. So professional link and also a personal link on IG. So that's great stuff. Again, thank you so much for coming on the show today. It's been a pleasure. Thanks, Chad. Thanks for listening to the New Kind of Man podcast. You've been given some good manly encouragement and now it's your turn. If you found today's content helpful, go tell a friend and please leave us a review. Also consider hitting that subscribe button so you don't miss a single episode. Now it's time for all of us to do what Theodore Roosevelt said. Create. Act. Get action. Do things. Be sane. Don't fritter away your time. Take a place wherever you are and be somebody. Get action.